For the past month, uh, we have been exploring our roots. We've used that language a fair bit, the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. In a real way, if we're a Christian, we're Jewish. Our story completes the story of Israel. We stand in lockstep. Another way of putting it is that we've been telling a story. This is a story, a grand story from Genesis to Revelation, a story of which you and I have been called into, a story that God has been telling and fulfilling literally since the beginning of all time, a story that only makes sense when we keep Jesus as the centerpiece of it all, because it's all ultimately about him, its central figure. This is the way that Jesus would have us understand it. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, he talks to the people and says to them that the scriptures bear witness about me. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, he begins with Moses and all of the prophets. That's shorthand for the Old Testament. He begins with Moses and all the prophets and interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is one of the reasons why I say those kinds of things, because Jesus said them. The Bible is about Christ from beginning to end. Promises kept, promises made, promises kept, unfolding to this very day. It's a grand story. It's the grand story of which you and I are a part. We gather each week to retell the story. We gather each week to remember the story, to be encouraged that in Christ, our story is part of his story. Let me, let me get that in there. That in Christ, our story, the things that are going on in your life this very moment, that will go on in your life tomorrow, that have gone on in your life last week and last year and will go on in your life should the Lord tarry and he give you breath next year and 10 years from that, is all part of the grand story that God continues to tell. And so our lives have meaning, even when they're mundane. Our lives are pregnant with meaning. We're going someplace, regardless of the shifting sands of our times. Today is Communion Sunday. Every Sunday is Communion Sunday. Today especially is commemorated a Communion Sunday for us. It's a day that we remember. We remember what? We remember the blessings of the new covenant. And how do we do that? You just heard me pray it. In the means of grace, the proclaimed word and the distributed bread and wine. These are all means that God has ordained to remind you of the grand narrative of which you and I are a part. This is why I pray till the day I drop dead. I will be forever jazzed to stand before one, two, 102 people with the word of God in my hand to declare those kinds of realities. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. How many of us in the last month have not wondered, does my life have any meaning? Where is this all going? What is happening? We come back and remind ourselves we do not forsake the assembly. We remind ourselves why, because you heard me just pray it, because we forget. And God seems to have fully anticipated that, that you would do this every week. Really? You expect us to forget every week. And God says, yeah. But how deep and how loving and how gracious and kind and patience that he keeps saying to us, come back, come back. I know you forgot. Come back. 
Come back. I have much for you. I have much for you. Romans eleven twenty six, the second half of it, and Romans eleven twenty seven, have three new covenant blessings. It's just a short time of teaching that's going to fold right into communion. Do you all have your communion elements with you? They're in that one packet. Some of you have already been through this drill once. Do you all have, those of you who are taking communion, the one packet, it is, it is the wafer and the juice there. If you do not, just simply slip your hand in the air. Arlene will get you one. Be glad to do that. We've got a number there, but we put one on every seat, so you should be prepared if you are coming to the table um, together today. So this is a, a brief, in the preaching guild, we call it a homily. Homily is supposed to be a little shorter than a sermon, and it will be this morning, I, I pray. But I want to show you three new covenant blessings. I want you to remember that this is the reality of your life that's displayed in these new covenant blessings that's marked by the partaking of these elements in just a moment. Three new covenant blessings. Here's the first one. Here's the first one in the second half of Romans eleven twenty six. It is the blessing of a deliverer. So as you're listening to the proclaimed word and as you're about to partake the elements, one of the things that I would love for you to whisper to yourself or to absorb is the fact that I am blessed by a deliverer. A deliverer has come and he's come for you and he's come for me. He's come from the, for the elect of Israel and he's come for the elect of the Gentiles together forming one new people of God. The first new covenant blessing in our text this morning is the blessing of a deliverer. Up to this point in the story, Paul has explained for us this mystery. In verse 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So he's hardened some, but not all, of the Jewish people so that in that channel that's opened by virtue of that hardening, the Gentiles may come in. You and me. We ought to thank God, as mysterious as it might sound to us, that he's hardened the Jews so that we can come in. But then our job is to so delight in this God that we would make the Jews jealous. And they would say, hey, wait a minute. Those are our promises. I want in. A hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then 26a, the first half of 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It's an enormously difficult statement. It's one of the most difficult statements in Paul. What is all Israel? What does that literally mean? Pages have been spilled on that one verse. And I shared with you last week, though my view admittedly is in the minority, I understand all Israel to mean the one people of God, Israel in quotation marks, meaning all the elect Jews and Gentiles together. That's all Israel. Let me remind you, earlier in chapter 9, and verse 6, he had said that not all who have descended from Abraham are Israel. So he's got an air quote of Israel, the true people of God who have come through Messiah Christ are the people of God. So now he's going to embed this. He's going to show us how his Bible goes together. He's going to show us how this one grand narrative all hangs together. 
he, for the most part, Paul, while writing, quoting Romans, had the scroll of Isaiah some way near him because Isaiah is just all over Romans, and especially right here in, in the second half of the 26th verse. The deliverer will come from Zion. That's what the text says. That's a, that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20. Isaiah 59, 20, Paul grabs that and declares that the liberator, the deliverer, I'm sorry, will come from Zion. Uh, Other translations said the one who rescues or the liberator. Those are all good. They all capture the essence of who this one is that's coming. But Paul twists this a little bit. He doesn't distort the scriptures, but he, he takes it for what he wants it for. Because if you go to Isaiah 59, we won't take the time to do that this morning. But if you go to Isaiah 59, 20, the text actually says that the deliverer will come to Zion. And Paul says he's going to come from Zion. It's really a both-and kind of situation because the deliverer will come to his people, but he's also coming from a heavenly Zion. See, Zion stands in here for heaven. It's an imagery that Paul's drawing. So what we have here in anticipation of Advent is an Advent. This is a Christmas text. This will, print, this will preach beautifully in Advent. The deliverer will come from heavenly Zion. That's the incarnation of Jesus Christ who has come to deliver his people, both Jewish and Gentile. The deliverer has come from this heavenly Zion and he has come for his people. Let me, don't don't take my word for it. Let me ground it for you in the gospel of Luke. Luke is the gospel we will be using, God willing, for Advent. We'll be doing a series of sermons in Luke chapter one and chapter two. Let me, let me whet your appetite a little bit there to show you the point that I just made. As I say to you all the time, make sure I show you where I'm getting what I'm getting in the word of the Lord. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 54. This is Mary's song, the Magnificat. Verse 54, Luke chapter one. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So Mary teenage girl steeped in the scriptures, bellows out this beautiful song, speaking perhaps better than what she even knew. But here now we're seeing that those early folks around the birth of Jesus Christ understood that they've got a promise being made and a promise being kept now. Even Mary herself said that. He's helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So we see even here, this mission statement goes beyond the Jews. But to those who are children of Abraham, which we've seen in the book of Romans, to be those who by repentance and faith have come to Messiah Jesus. Luke 1.68, Zechariah's prophecy over John the Baptist. Listen to the same kind of words, Luke 1.68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Here's the deliverer. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, watch this now, verse 74, Luke 1, that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. What an amazing thing that's going on here. In the coming of the deliverer from heavenly Zion, 
These major players in the birth of Jesus are putting all of this together for us. I'm going to give you one more because these two are not the only characters that are doing this. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 29, here is the presentation of Jesus. And dear Simeon is going to say these words in Luke 2.29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Here it is, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. 32, Luke 2, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. God never intended for his salvation to come exclusively to Jews. But part of this grand story, both Jews and Gentiles, deliverance from our enemies. And so now, as one who is part of that people of God, you have in Christ the deliverance from your enemies. You might have people who are opposing you because of your Christianity, because of your following Jesus Christ. Know that a deliverer has come. And though he may not deliver you from the moment of death, you know that eternally you are secure. That's what the deliverer has come to do. So whether you die today or live another 50 years, you know that your future is secure because the deliverer has come. But even more importantly than being saved by mere on-the-ground enemies, we've been saved by our arch enemy, a capital E enemy. And Peter calls him, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he calls him our enemy who prowls around seeking to devour to devour. That one has been defanged. He's been defeated, paradoxically, by the death of Jesus Christ, by the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So the first new covenant blessing that we see in this text is the blessing of a deliverer. Now, we're, we're right to ask, well, what is this deliverer going to do? What is he going to deliver us from? We've seen that he delivers us from our enemies and our enemy, but now Paul goes on, continuing to quote Isaiah, to show us exactly how this unplays. So secondly, the blessing of ungodliness is, is, the second blessing is that ungodliness has been banished. Sit back for a second with me, take a deep breath, and let those two words just hit your being. That ungodliness has been banished. Before you came to Christ, you were ungodly. Ungodly is a very easy thing to, de to, to define. It defines itself. Ungodly. Anything that's not godlike. It's ungod, which is where you and I are apart from Christ Jesus. Though we may think ourselves to be good people, may we think that we've got some godliness that would warrant God's attention in our life, we, we don't. When the deliverer comes, he will banish ungodliness. And how will he do this? If you keep reading that Isaiah 59 passage, the second half of Isaiah 59, 20, it says this, to those in Jacob who turn away from transgression. So Jacob being spoken to, Israel being spoken to in the Old Testament, by expansion now, by conclusion of the people of Israel, you and I have been drawn in. So this applies to us by new covenant extension. That's how we put our Bibles together and understand that all the promises that God has made are yes in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 1.20. If that verse is not underlined in your Bible, it ought to be. 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of the promises of God are yes in Christ. 
So what is applied here now to the people of Israel applies under to us under the new covenant blessings. Ungodliness is anything that opposes God, anything that is unlike God, which is to say sin, anything that's sinful. Our deliverer has come and he banishes ungodliness. As we new covenant engrafted believers turn away from transgression. You know that. This is Christianity 101. In the coming of the deliverer, ungodliness that has been our DNA has been banished, has been taken away from us. How does that happen? By faith, appropriating the turning away from our transgression, it's repentance, turning around and starting a different course of action, turning away from our sinfulness, our transgressions, and turning to this one who has come to deliver us, as we heard in Mary, as we heard in Zechariah, as we heard in Simeon. How beautifully and how organic are the scriptures, and they hold together in our beautiful, beautiful Christ. The second blessing, the blessing of ungodliness being banished. Paul had brought this up a little bit earlier, very early actually, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There's your definition right there if you want one. Romans 1.18. So Paul declares, and you know, though it's been a little while, you know that Romans 1 and 2 declare the universality of sin. The Jews listen very intently to Romans 1 because Paul lets the Gentiles have it. You go, Paul. But then Paul turns a corner and goes to Romans chapter 2 and he declares that all are under the wrath of God because they're ungodly. Jews included as well. And so the Gentiles go, yeah, Paul, you give it to them. And then he gets to Romans chapter 3, and we all know 3.23, right? And Paul says, step back, both Jews and Greeks. Step back, he said, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, we are all ungodly. Watch this now, because you're about to partake these elements. Watch this. The deliverer has come, and he's banished that ungodliness. So in Christ Jesus, you stand, wait for it, godly. Godly. Holy and pleasing to him. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, holy and pleasing to God. I know, I know that you had a day this week when you thought, there's no way that God is pleased with me. In Christ, our Father sees the Son, and then he sees you in the Son. The love that he has for the Son, wow, is the love that he has for you. In Titus chapter 2, there's this magnificent passage. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Listen to how appropriate this statement is from Paul to his dear colleague Titus regarding the banishment of ungodliness. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is Paul now switching, switching the category, switching the language, and now describing everything that I've just taught you as the grace of God. 
Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Keep reading with me. Training us, watch this, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while doing what? While waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, watch this now, to redeem us from all, the word is lawlessness, but you can very easily say from all ungodliness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The deliverers come, banished ungodliness, so that you now stand in Christ before him, and you've been empowered and enabled to continue to fight against any lingering ungodliness. Why? Because you have a blessed hope. Jesus is coming back for you. And it's that hope that inspires, that empowers, that encourages us to fight the good fight of the faith. New covenant blessings, right here, Romans chapter 11. First one is that a deliverer has come. The second one is that that deliverer has banished ungodliness. And the third overlaps very much with this second one. The third new covenant blessing in our text this morning is that it's the blessing of sins being taken away. This is verse uh, verse 27 of Romans chapter 11. The final blessing of new covenant believers in similar, but it's fuller, it's richer. He's going deeper here to the banishing of ungodliness. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So it's that language of covenant that has shaped this, this homily. It's the language of covenant. It's why I've repeated new covenant, new covenant, because you know I'm anticipating using new covenant language when we partake of those elements in just a moment. Paul now, I told you he had Isaiah open, right? So now Paul's going to work back from Isaiah 29 to Isaiah 27. He quotes in verse 27, he quotes Isaiah 27, verse 9. And this is what Isaiah 27, 9 says, The guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. So you hear Jacob transpose that through Christ, that now includes you. So what are the new covenant blessings of being in Christ? The deliverers come, ungodliness has been banished, and sins have been taken away. Here's how he says it in Isaiah 27, 9. Guilt has been atoned for, sin has been removed. Yeah, amen is right. Because when you put those elements in your hand in just a moment, that's what I want you to feel. That's what I want you to smell. All five senses are involved here today. You're not only hearing but you're going to, and seeing, but you're going to taste, you're going to touch, you're going to smell. All five of those senses in God's glorious creation, he wants to bring in and to have affected by his grace, by his mercy, by the fact that the deliverer has come, that ungodliness has been banished from your life, and that your sin has been taken away. The guilt that is associated with your sin has been atoned for. You cannot out-sin the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There's no, the Puritans used to say, there's no well so deep that Christ cannot get to the bottom of it for you.
As new covenant believers, we've been grafted in to the olive tree that is Israel. The way this ingrafting occurs is by faith that our sin has been removed, that our guilt has been atoned for. I just want to read you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. This is how Paul, in another letter, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, this is how Paul, in another letter, summarizes it all up. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. This is dire straits here, folks. If you're apart from Christ, this is dire straits. Having no hope without God in the world, but now. You know how I do my happy dance over those two words, but now. But now. But now. This is the after picture, not the before picture. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Today is Communion Sunday. Today we remember. Today we're nourished. The Deliverer has come as promised. He's banished ungodliness. Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. The deliverer has come as promised. He has taken away our sins. Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The deliverer has come as promised, and he's banished ungodliness, and he's taken away our sins. The deliverer is coming again. as promised. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The deliverer has come and he's banished ungodliness and he's taken away your sin. And he's coming again. And his word is true. And you can believe him. Our Father, we humble ourselves before your glorious throne this morning. With much swirling around us, dear God, we know that you are the rock. We know that your new covenant blessings are as stable as your word. For you cannot lie. You have shown us very clearly that you've made profound promises. And you've either kept them or are in the process of keeping them. Father, we believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And we believe that he's coming again. Oh, dear God. For anybody in this room that is not ready for the return of Jesus, I pray that you bring them back to yourself right now. That there be none who walk out of the room today not ready to meet the King of all kings. And let it be, Father, that we don't scurry about to try to find reasons why we're ready to meet you, save one. 
we're ready to meet you because Jesus Christ has shed his blood for us. That we have died to self and that Christ is now living in us and through us. Oh, Father, as we come now, as it were, to this table, I pray for your blessing upon these elements. I pray that you would awaken our affections, that you would heighten our sense of taste, our smell, our touch. I pray, oh God, that you render it impossible for us not to see you everywhere, at work in all things, for our dear brothers and sisters who are live streaming with us, may your, may your blessing rest upon their households, dear God, as they prepare as extended members of the body of Christ, given these difficult times under which we're meeting. I pray that they would know the unity of the Spirit that binds us together. Would we ingest these means of grace, dear God, and remember and be strengthened nourished, that our deliverer has come, that he has banished ungodliness, and that he has taken away our sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to do those things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even so, come again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.